Hello and welcome everyone to the EOS Fireside Chat for October 4th, 2023. I'm Andrew and I will be your host today while Stefan is still enjoying his well-deserved vacation. We've got a packed show lined up today with 12 topics and some special guests to provide context and clarifications for any of our questions. Today we will be talking about Leap 5 updates. We'll be talking about the Haifa beta launch and token sale. Uh, we've got uh, Kate to talk about change now and their USDT listing. Uh, we've also got some updates on EOS Labs, some updates on Upscale, formerly Eden, and the elections that are coming up. We've also got uh, EOS support with some initiatives. We've got Pomelo halftime stats. We've also got a new milestone of 6 million EOS accounts as well as a new EOS Rebels or Build on EOS Coding tutorial with Nathan James. And then we've also got a new article from the ENF about USDT bridging and some of the innovations there on EOS EVM. And uh, we'll also talk about WordProof in their podcast and some new stuff from Upland. So before we get started and do a little bit of uh, housekeeping, Again, thank you everyone for joining us. We're live on Discord, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe, whatever platform you're enjoying this on. Uh, we love it when you participate in the show. So uh, whether it's in the text chat or if you're going to join us on stage in Discord, we want to hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions about today's topics. And one more thing, don't forget to share some emojis and memes for more Fireside hype. And one last reminder, uh, well, I'll probably remind you at some other point during this chat, but we've got uh, pop token giveaways, so make sure to go to the PopBot chat and claim your uh, pop token for today's fireside chat. And uh, then you can uh, feel free to mint your monthly raffle ticket for October. All right. So let's get started with... Uh, with Leap 5.0. So we recently got some new updates about Leap 5.0, some of the features. The EOS Network Foundation released an article that presents an overview of the new features and uh, updates on other features that'll be slated for a future release. Um, so I can share that blog real quick, and I'll just outline some of these features. Maybe we can get a little bit more uh, a little bit more context to some of these items, um, but I will share with you what my understanding of it is, and then maybe uh, Eric Passmore can pop in and correct any of my misunderstandings. So some of the new features in Leap 5 include uh, relaxed smart contract execution rules, meaning they're less strict. They enable larger and more resource-heavy transactions, which in particular benefits EOCVM along with other CPU-heavy transactions. Uh, in addition, there's been a 400% boost to some transactions with lots of ABI requests by doing the, de de -serial yeah, the deserialization step in the background without letting it block the main processor thread. Uh, in addition, uh, now Leap includes parallel processing of read-only transactions on up to 128 threads. Uh, in addition, it boosts the computation speed of certain uh, heavy CPU EVM transactions, 
through optimizations to EOS VM OC, and that is the EOS virtual machine, not the EVM. And then OC, which I may have heard referred to as OC mode before, and I assumed it stood for overclock mode, but I think it actually stands for optimized compiler. Um, and then in addition, we've also got uh, a streamlined sync process as well as a memory-optimized chain base, which reduces RAM consumption by upwards of 20%, which is uh, pretty important for, uh, for the EOS and uh, other antelope chains, which are inching closer to 128 gigabytes of RAM, which is the maximum RAM allowed by processors that are designed for single-core performance, which are best for keeping CPU usage low. Um, also, new options for node operators, including customizing their node setups and using Prometheus logs and uh, lever leveraging the efficiency and security of local-only connections between nodes. Um, in addition, there's a few items that have been included but have yet to be activated. Uh, one of those is disabling deferred transactions, which we've actually talked about on this fireside before. Um, BPs have disabled them, and a future upgrade will remove them entirely, but um, at this point... That is a feature that is will not be active until a later upgrade. And in addition, we've also got some new cryptographic primitives, which are the basic formulas required for executing encryption algorithms. Uh, these are implemented as host functions, which means that they are baked kind of further into the low-level code than if it were coded into a smart contract, and thus they're more efficient. Uh, these functions allow smart contracts to carry out mathematical operations, with the BLS 12381 elliptic curve. So this is the cryptographic formula that's used in zero-knowledge proofs, which if I understand correctly, and I probably don't, it is specifically the formula y squared equals x squared plus 4. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, it will make privacy-focused zero-knowledge solutions more efficient and more usable. Um, so maybe now I will invite Eric Passmore to correct me on any of these things that I uh, potentially uh, misspoke on. Yeah, um, I am here, and, and Brian Hazard is here with me as well, and uh, all sounds good. There's so much in Leap 5, and I'm happy to go over them. What would you guys prefer? Would you prefer just a brief overview, or would you? Is there any that are interesting that you would like to dive into? Any thoughts? Uh, I know I already have a question about the uh, the streamlined sync process. So I remember back when we were uh, looking at uh, upgrading to 3.1, there was a lot of... I, I was doing a lot of communication trying to... Um, just let BPs and other node operators know what steps they needed to do. And one thing that surprised me was if you needed to resync, for example, if you had a blocks log that was from uh, 2.1, we won't get into that. <laughs> but if you wanted to resync, it was going to take weeks, like maybe even upwards of a month. Is that the process that has been uh, streamlined? And does this mean it doesn't take weeks to resync a node from Genesis? Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it still is going to take a long time to resync all those nodes. I, I think this is the peer. This is the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, stuff. If you're if you dropped a peer and connecting to a peer again, uh, not 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 rebuilding from from Genesis. 
I see. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it takes a long time. It's a, it's a very, very large blockchain. Terabytes mm -hmm. on terabytes. Yeah, I, I mean, there are people that have sped up uh, the rebuild from Genesis using uh, different techniques uh, that, uh, you know, just uh, lots of streams going at the same time to load something up within, you know, uh, uh, oh, I don't know what the exact time is, but not months, like days at, at most. But those don't really have anything to do with, with Nodios. It just has to do with how they actually got the history to the nodes that they're trying to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm aware of solutions like Firehose that can drop that amount of time down. But um, it sounds like it's basically wherever you're trying to get your uh, history will determine that. So you said this uh, this particular improvement is for peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, um, is sort of a peer-to-peer -peer improvement? Yeah, I'm going to go look up the notes. I'm not, and Brian, you can jump in because he's a little bit more familiar with the peer-to-peer -peer stuff than I am. But I'm going to go look at the notes before I... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, sounds great. Perfect. Um, yeah, so I just, in the in the chat, I shared uh, a few bits of notes that are relevant. Um, so there's a, uh asynchronous block fetching um, uh, change here. So, uh, you know, most, most blockchains and indeed Leap in the past um, sort of pause while you're, while you're, um, retrieving uh blocks or sorry while you're applying blocks and pause on retrieving uh blocks so so basically this this will um continue retrieving sort of next batches of blocks while while applying the current current batch there's also features where um latency of peers is now tracked and used in uh sync selection sort of like where you'll request blocks from it'll it'll um, automatically select from lowest latency uh, peers. Um, and then if there's um, some changes to the sort of deadlines that are applied for for uh, speculative blocks uh, as well. Um, th those are the primary things um, here that that are are in 5.0 related to um, Streamline Sync. On the note of the uh, syncing from Genesis, it is a topic that's uh, near and dear to our heart and something that we do have our eyes on. In fact, Eric, um, uh, for for sort of a Genesis replay testing, has, has been doing work exactly in that space, doing sort of like, uh, call it multi-threaded, um, uh, uh, replay um, from Genesis. Um, so, so that is something that that is, you know, an area of research and in the works, but it's not part of 5.0. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, and that's interesting to hear. Um, it's, I mean, it seems like the most important things are the things that are happening frequently. So um, I'm happy to hear that the, the, those peering improvements are, uh, are part of 5, especially because one thing I want to highlight is that is, um, I, I mean, I've been listening to your your guys' uh, node operator roundtables, and um, that is a feature that was specifically requested at those node operator roundtables. Um, specifically, the uh, I think was the uh, and I mean, probably a lot of these features have been requested there, but uh, I think there were specifically highlighting uh, latency between 
uh, peering nodes and selecting the best peering node based on that. It's cool to hear that that's, that's out there because I, I remember that being discussed. Yeah, and another thing that's been discussed in this calls that's that's in here are are these memory improvements. You know, the the state state memory can take up quite a lot um quite a lot of space in memory, which obviously has very practical sort of cost uh, uh implications, right? And so a 20% reduction um in the sort of memory footprint of of that state data is significant and we actually have um identified and tested a another improvement that that for for a next version that that should be able to reduce that by another six percent so some big some big gains being made uh on that front huh um i'm i'm curious maybe nobody else on the fireside chat's interested in this but i'm i'm curious technically how you're able to take off that big of a chunk of of the of the ram yeah, so what, what we did is you, we looked at every single record that was in there and looked at the number of records that we had. And the pointer size that we had could index far greater than the number of records we would ever have. So we changed the pointer sizes to be smaller. And by doing that, it made every single record smaller. And so when you're able to take these you know, pointers and make every single record smaller, it works out um, to be these huge cost savings. Uh, the additional cost savings we're looking at uh, structures that you know just aren't fully utilized, so we're able to pair those back, and they had been eating up some additional space. So that's where the future savings uh, would come from. Oh, that's that's interesting. I had no idea that um, the. I mean, it sounds like the namespace of the um, of the pointers was way bigger than you guys needed, or than the network needed. If I'll be more specific. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you you build this stuff out, you never really know how big it's going to be and what the true working set's going to be. Uh, but that, you know, it turned out that that pointer size, the number of records we're indexing was not the bottleneck, right? The bottleneck was just how much memory we had, uh, you know, you know, with uh, uh, EOS, you know, you get like a 20 gigabyte um, in, in memory state. Um, with other ones that are larger, you'll get up to 100 gigabytes of memory space. So, so that was the that was the real limit. And, you know, you just have to make adjustments for the, your real, real working set to, uh, to shape the software to fit the needs of, of how we're actually using it. Yeah, and if you're interested in the gory details, um, they, I pasted in chat something that goes kind of like halfway deep, if you will. And then, um, and this, this, that's an excerpt from the release nits, which will be released when, when 5.0 is, uh, our release candidate one is made public. Um, so yeah, you can, you can kind of get some of the details there. And then, uh, when the, uh, you can also look at the, the pull requests for this, if you really want to get into the weeds on like, uh, how those optimizations were, were made. So, One thing I'll, I'll add that we haven't uh, covered is that um, one of the features that was, or, or uh, two of the features actually that were, um, well, maybe I'll say three, that were initially slated for 5.0 have been sort of pushed forward or pushed back. I don't know which one it would be, but to essentially the next release. And one of those is the disabling of deferred transactions. Um, we do have a question in the chat about this next one, which is the cryptographic uh, primitives. Um, which I'm 
I'm really interested in those because of the uh, the privacy implications and uh, the ZK proof Im uh, implications of that one. Um, and then also uh, Instant Finality, which was sort of slated for this uh, release. Um, there was some testing and, and it uh, turned out that one needs a little bit uh, more work. Um, but uh, can either you speak to maybe um, the reasoning behind not activating the cryptographic primitives, like adding them in the software, but not activating them as a uh, chain feature? Yeah, so I think we're kind of looking at it from the opposite direction, which is the reasoning for including the uh, the protocol feature in the release uh, and uh, while not necessarily advocating for a, a protocol upgrade to occur. Um, so the reason for including it is because it still has... Um, uh, significant value from a perspective of being able to, you know, test these things on test nets and, and, and things like that. Um, but as far as, you know, uh, activating it, you know, on a main net sort of context, uh, you know, I think that absent the, which I'm, we might get into the instant finality conversation, but absence, the, the instant finality piece of this, um, you know, there's, I don't think there's a strong case for for activating the protocol feature today. Keep in mind that the the BLS uh, like crypto libraries are are still you know available in within Leap. Um, it's just that that the host functions have have not been or will not be activated until a protocol activation is uh, is done. I see, and the host functions are just to make it uh, compute more. Uh, efficiently on the uh, ESVM, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, um, a part of it for sure. Yeah, yeah, probably a uh, vast oversimplification, but well, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I've got on, on my the mind. theme of making compute more efficient for ES um, uh, EVM. The the you. You mentioned ESVM OC, and and first I, I want to confirm, yes, OC just stands for Optimized Compiler, but um, it's a significantly more um, performant um, runtime, and uh, it, one of the changes we made in this release is that uh, there's a new mode uh, that sets the default uh, runtime for uh, system contracts, among other things, but the important thing for what I'm about to say is system contracts to to this ESVM OC, um, and that that means that uh, EOS EVM being on the ESIO.star um, sort of account, which means it's a system contract, um, benefit from that uh, from that optimization, which you know it, the the level of optimization really depends on the specific computation happening but in some cases it can be orders of magnitude more more uh cpu efficient so um yeah i was gonna i wanted to jump back to the bls uh conversation like why okay. it's unlocked too so i you know i think that, that there's a lot of potential um but we were really looking at uh, some of these bls to do things like zero knowledge proofs or cross-chain communication. And when we looked at other chains like Ethereum, right, we would really want to see them having some of the BLS uh, pre-compiles in place. And they don't have it. 
So um, we were sort of struggling with, well, okay, if we have these BLS stuff and, and we unlock it, it would be a breaking change. But how is the community actually going to use these things? So I think getting feedback from you guys about, you know, if it's something important that you really want to see unlocked in production, then I think it, it'd be great to get that input and figure out how it would be used. And that's, that's kind of where we are on the BLS stuff. The BLS stuff is really critical for us as we look forward to instant finality and doing cross-chain communication. And it's a fundamental building block. So I'm glad that we have it in there. Yeah, this gives uh, the community a chance to test it and on the test net. Maybe Kylan might, uh, you know, enable it earlier. And then uh, once that has been sufficiently tested, it can be brought onto the main net or other main nets, Wax, Telos, et cetera. All right. Um, any, any questions about, uh, about Leap 5 that, that are eating at anyone's mind? Can start the music here, so we got a nice little. I mean, if the, if if there is time, I would like to go into the read-only transactions for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's uh let, let's dive into it. Yeah, and then also the the serialization deserialization is is pretty interesting as well. But you know, we only have time for one, so. You know, the, the read-only transactions, now we can get up to 128 threads, you know, of work going on in parallel. And this isn't just for transactions that you are sending me a read-only, but it's also for other stuff like get block, which is also currently going on, on, um, you know, in, in the background, stuff that we're doing all the time. And so having that number of threads is, is great, but you have to understand that we had to do a lot of work in order to really get it to work. Not just adding the threading and unlocking these new levels, but we had to create a whole new uh, memory context for these read-only threads because we didn't want each thread to each churn up a, a whole bunch of memory. We wanted to share it, especially if it's read-only. Uh, Wasm, right? Uh, instances, now there's only one of them that's shared between all these different uh, read-only threads. Compile uh, contracts used to be compiled twice, right? Uh, now they're only compiled once and cached once, and all the read-only threads can use it. So that means if you fire off a read-only transaction of your own contract, uh, that's going to be compiled, it's going to be cached, and any other read-only thread can pick that up. So there's a lot of amazing work that went into that. There's a lot of blockchains that are talking about scaling their write transactions. It was really cool to see us you know, working on the read side because we're, we're pretty far along capacity, capacity, side, capacity and, and, and latency-wise with the uh, write side of transactions. So I'm I'm really excited to see uh, workloads shift over to read only, and I want to see how it works out in practice. It, it did take a lot of effort uh, to really do this properly and, and put it in place. And as as I understand, uh, I I mean I feel like I've heard a lot of node operators complaining about get blocks and how it it sort of stops their nodes or at the very least um, sort of slows them down, slows down execution. That's kind of one of the big reasons why there's a lot of node operators run a blocks only node, a, a node that's specifically devoted to um, providing that get block service. So it sounds mm -hmm. like this will allow just pretty much any node to do that. And it's not going to mess with the, uh, the right transactions that are happening on just the main thread. Um, yes, in, in a nutshell, but I would say that more importantly for that particular scenario is the work that was done with serialization. 
So now with serialization, if you go and do like a, a, a single item, um, it's on its own separate thread and it'll get, it'll get deserialized. But for get block, which has multiple items inside of it, what it's going to do is it's going to ship that all that work off to a different thread and it's going to start working on deserializing all the stuff that's in get block. And that's the most expensive part. Once it times out, what's going to happen is it's going to it's going to ship, give you everything it can, in as deserialized, and the rest of it's going to be raw. And so now, get blocks not going to fail anymore, right? When when it used to fail, also with a combination of Unix sockets, I think that's great as well. You know, this really makes uh, get block a lot uh, a lot more res- uh, reliable. And I think that that deserialization work. And that threading work is is really the bigger benefit for the for get block. And so I'm really excited about that as well. Now, if you are getting blocks back and you're getting raw uh, bind hex back and you want it to be deserialized, we can work with you on setting the setting some limits higher for more processing time. And since it's more of a read-only transaction, your read-only settings aren't going to impact anybody else. Now I, I have to say. Uh, that read only is only available on API nodes. You can't have a block producer node that's also uh, has read only threads. They they just don't work together. Yeah, and yeah. as I understand, multi threading on on write is, uh, for example, that's that's what uh, Solana is trying to do, and and they've experienced a few issues with that. <laughs> yeah. I- I, I mean, but look, I mean, we want to address our bottlenecks, right? So, I mean, I think a particular solution that may work for Solano may not be the right uh, application for us, right? So, um, the, we do have multiple threads. Like, we do, we do, are we are multi-threaded already? I mean, our net threads and our HTTP threads—they're they're all separate from our main thread. But we do, we do have a main processing thread for you know doing most of our stateful changes, our consensus and our consensus work. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if you look at a large, uh, like large sized institutions that also have to run a lot of, you know, matching or book, book order stuff like New York Stock Exchange, you know, you're going to see a lot of single threaded stuff, single process stuff. And the reason is, is because it's faster. There's no locking issues that you're going to run into. There's no contention for mutexes. Uh, and it just ends up to be a, a lot faster and, and a truer path to scalability. So um, I think, uh, you know, we have lots of options if we do run into bottlenecks of things that we want to speed up. I would say that we kind of are multi-threaded already. But yes, there are definitely our consent. The part that's driving consensus is on a main thread. Yeah, That's great. Well, add Thanks. some color to this. I think something that a lot of folks may not realize is, you know, I think uh, if you imagine a node operator uh, and what their infrastructure might look like, you your sort of first starting point might be that there's like a machine, um, you know, a single machine um, running a single instance of Nodeus, which is the, you know, the software, the node software for um you know, that powers Antelope networks like he is. Um, but actually, uh, node operators and especially block producers tend to run for a single network uh, multiple instances of Nodios across multiple machines. And then when you 
multiply that by the fact that many of these um, uh, block producers are are doing block production across multiple antelope networks. Uh, they have quite a um, sophisticated sort of infrastructure footprint, right? And um, and then you add into that like uh, API providers and and things like that. That's you know there's sometimes folks wear multiple hats. Um, where I'm going with all this is that um, having options like uh, parallelized read-only transactions and making um, uh, sort of read-only like API calls like Git blocks um, more efficient can have um, sort of non-incremental <laughs> um, impact to to the level of infrastructure that's required to uh, you know to operate as a node operator. Um, and there's even been some sort of flirtation in, in sort of node operator discussions with with uh, sort of ending the need for for whole categories of nodes um, you know moving forward with some of the some of the improvements. So um, anyway, yeah, that, it's it's you know these are impactful uh, changes and and also as as folks adopt the uh, the read-only transactions uh, more and more as a way to sort of uh, interact with uh, you know getting uh, data from the blockchain, uh, we'll see uh, things get more and more efficient. Mm-hmm. And I I can attest to that. Uh, just looking in in the uh, the operations channel for uh, uh, EOS Nation, I can see. There's uh, uh, there's always a lot of discussion about all the different uh, transaction relay nodes and the block producer nodes and yeah there's there's a very um, complex and kind of well designed structure that at, at the very least EOS Nation has for for our uh, infrastructure for our uh, nodes um, so that yeah I, I definitely see the benefit in that anyone else have uh, have questions for uh, Eric or Brian or ed- anything else on uh, on Leap 5.0? All right, I think we can move on then. Unless did I just hear someone uh, with a question? All right. Uh, so our next topic is uh, is Haifa DAO and Haifa, their beta launch and token sale. Haifa has been building a comprehensive DAO management platform since 2019 uh, with a focus on modularity and flexibility. And now, after years of waiting, Haifa beta access will be released on October 11th. That's one week from now. So make sure to secure your spot for beta access. I can share a link right here for the beta sign-up. And uh, if you haven't ever beta tested a product, I would highly encourage it. Uh, It feels good to be useful. And all you have to do is you try to use something, and then you complain to someone about the parts you don't like, and then they say thank you. Uh, it might be good to throw in a compliment or two while you're at it, but it's uh, 
I, I personally really enjoy it because it allows me to almost direct the development in a way of a product. Um, you can learn more about it. I got another link here. Yunk. Um, there we go. Uh, Haifa is also having a token sale. Uh, while I will not specifically endorse any token sale, I can at least uh, lead you to where you want to buy the tokens if you're interested. And if you'd like to learn more, uh, Haifa and a few others um, did a Twitter Spaces with the ENF uh, focusing on DAOs. And I was, oopsies, I was listening to that last night and it, it was. It's a great lesson. I I recommend it. Um, so I think uh, Joaquin from Haifa, I think, is in here or was earlier. Am I saying your name right? Yes. No worries. I have so many different versions of that name, so anything goes. Yeah, you're you're welcome to correct me though. I'm, I I like to know <laughs> the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I like diversity. Um. Thank, thank you, Drew, so much. Um, I mean, you basically spelled it all out. There's not much to add for me. <laughs> you know? um, thank you, first of all, inviting me um, to the fireside chat here, and 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 I enjoyed the uh, uh, the Twitter space uh, last night uh, very very much. It was it was a great call with uh, Patrick and Brandon and others here. So yeah, my name is uh, Joachim Stroh. I'm a co-founder of uh, Haifa, and as you said, uh, we've been working in this for. A couple of years, five, almost five years now, and now we're ready to to launch. Uh, so we have announced it in the uh, email that uh, you just shared there. Uh, take a look at it. Um, there's a lot of content in there, um, and uh, you'll find things like a town hall that we'll do on the same day on October 11. Uh, sign up for that. It'd be great to have you there. Um, we have our new website out there, so go to hyphen.earth, uh, check out uh, our brand new site with a lot of information, um, including um, some of the new DAO services that we're going to launch on the same day. That includes things like uh, a founders table, um, a round table for DAO founders uh, wanting to dive you know, deeper into, into what the DAO is all about and how they can use it for their specific cases. Uh, there's a DAO activation group um, that will step you through the DAO canvas that we developed uh, to sort of boot up a DAO and uh, go through the necessary steps uh, and find the, the right building blocks for, you, for your own DAO. And then some expert deep dives. Um, and that's just the beginning um, of a series of services that we're going to offer. Um, there'll be other services. There'll be uh, service DAOs. Patrick just uh, posted something here. Um, that uh, anybody in the EOS network can uh, boot up their own organization, their own entity, and use the DAO software. Um, we also have Haifa Labs. Um, that's a new thing we, we've created for this launch. Uh, this is about badges. Um, badges for people who want to participate as an ambassador or as, a, as an affiliate. Um, or later on, um, uh, or uh, consultants, uh, so people wanting to help out in uh, bringing people on board uh, to understand how the business will overlap with, uh, intersect really with, with DAO software, um, and then developer badges too. So that's all coming. Um, we're really excited, you know, to finally get this out the door, you know, get it uh, to, to US and uh, ready to launch it. Um, lots of features. Um, we went through the ENF grant program and uh, sort of 
fine-tuned everything. It's still called beta, as you mentioned, right? Uh, so there are still, you know, some things we're ironing out. And there are a lot of features actually already on our priority list, you know. So as soon as we launch uh, next week, then uh, we'll get ready to uh, work on the new features. Uh, things that will include uh, a community space around the DAO. Uh, things like an ecosystem explorer space where we actually connect the different DAOs. Um, and a lot more uh, in terms of governance and uh, some some methods. Um, and and uh, Eden Elections, you know, is one uh, the upvote uh, feature is coming too. So a lot of stuff is on, on the roadmap there. And uh, maybe maybe if I take a minute, uh, step back, uh, you know, the DAO, what's different with the Haifa DAO than all the other DAOs uh, that are currently out there? Um, so Haifa uh, has tried to sort of go beyond the sort of infrastructure DAO uh, that you have typically out there. Um, that means we're kind of... Uh, getting sort of into the next generation of DAOs. Just like blockchains are evolving, right, from first, second to, to third generation blockchains, becoming more you know, efficient, energy efficient, and faster over time. I think DAOs are evolving too. Um, and I see um, us being sort of reaching out to this third generation DAO. It's a DAO that has uh, the capacity to handle a lot more complexity. Complexity in terms of how do you build an organization from the ground up, right? So it's not just a, a community space with a treasury, right? The traditional infrastructure DAO, um, but it's much more than that. It's a way really to build and create your own organization. An organization can be anything, right? Can be a community, can be you know a cooperative, can be a village, you know, if you want to do that. Um, but the key for us to say is to say that uh, well, there's some you know structural elements, there's some pieces, some building blocks you want to put in place uh, before you launch something like uh, uh, a project, you know, that is uh, you know focused on on a bigger purpose. You know, why are you coming together? And I think uh, the Haifa DAO can support that uh, view with sort of structural components, like you can build circles inside the DAO, you can uh, create roles inside the DAO. I mentioned badges, you know, we're using these badges, the affiliate and the ambassador badges, also within the DAO context. Um, so you can also define um, how you people, how you want to reward people inside the DAO, right? Uh, we have a whole salary um, and compensation system inside the DAO that you can fine tune and configure to your needs. And that's an important point for us because we see that every single DAO out there will have different needs, right? They will have different ways of how they set up their organization. And we want to make that as configurable as possible and give you sort of the tools that allow you to fine-tune it and to, to sort of build something to exactly your purpose, right? So, so that's the DAO container, that's the DAO context where we're trying to lower the entry barriers too, right? So... There could be, you know, if you if you look at, you know, how traditional organizations operate, right? There are about 330 million out there, and they all follow the certain, you know, formula of uh, well, you'll get hired into an organization. There's an HR department. Um, there are 25 interviews to do before you can get close to to being hired for a company. This stuff all goes out the window with the DAO context um, because you can decide how you bring people on board. And the barrier of entry is so much lower. You can, you can offer a quest, let's say, you know, create a quest, you know, do a project for us. 
uh, get to know some people inside the DAO and then go from there, right? Um, rather than, you know, scanning through resumes and background checks and HR departments, right? You can do that much more efficiently and effect really effectively, I would say, than in, in a traditional way where you really don't know if that person is a good fit or not. So it has much more open boundaries. Um, and it also invites people into, you know, finding really their true purpose. You know, why do I come to that? Where's my passion and how do I find the others in the space? That's why, you know, the DAO, as we build it, is we called it DHO at some point, you know, Decentralized Human Organization, where we really wanted to put the human at the center. You know, even though it's, you know, placed, often placed as a trustless environment, you know, fully automated and lots of algorithmic decisions, um, we believe humans are, are at the center, right? They're at the helm. It's about building the trust inside the DAO, the relationships that lead to sort of a more aligned and sort of coherent space. Um, that then allows you to move forward in, in much, you know, better ways than if you have someone on, on the top and, you know, issuing orders, right? Or you're forced into a box, like in a traditional organization, sit at your desk and then you can't break out of this. You know, that's, that's your space. So the DAO for us is, is much more a dynamic, much more an organic space, right? That can expand. You know, you can add circles, you can add roles. Um, you can go to sub sub circles. You can expand much further. I can also contract, right? So if you find things don't work out, well, then you shift things around and you can rearrange it inside the DAO. Um, last thing I wanted to mention, um, before I, you know, open it up for any questions you have. The DAO is meant, you know, not as a standalone thing, right? Um, we're, we're seeing sort of shifting out of the sort of competitive mindset, you know, of the industrial age more towards uh, what we really meant to do here, which is connecting, reaching out to others and uh, collaborate and coordinate around larger issues, right, about larger problems. Um, two weeks ago, I was here in New York City at the Climate Week. Um, and this is where you see, you know, lots and lots of uh, different players coming up with solutions. Uh, what we need here in this space is really a way to coordinate all of these different initiatives and say, hey, we're coming together here, let's arrange who's doing what, and then let's tackle these really difficult problems. Because it's not so much about competition, it's really about how we uh, connect and reach out and figure out how to work together on this stuff. You know, that's our motto on the on the webpage uh, that we have. Uh, it's it's how we achieve more together, right? Not in isolation, not you know as a standalone fighter there, um, but with the others. And for that, we're really starting to get into a whole new space of uh, ecosystem building. So beyond the DAO building itself, right? How do you build your organization from from the ground up or transition it from an existing organization? We also, you know, really uh, very much promote the idea of, well, you're now a player, you have a DAO, um, where are the others? You know, how do you connect to the others out there inside an ecosystem? So it's a whole new boundary around that that could contain, you know, other hundred DAOs, right, coming together um, and forming alliances, you know, forming uh uh, connections that help you to tackle these problems. And this is a new space for all of us. Um, this is really exploring what it means to exchange value, exchange knowledge, um, exchange, you know, formats and, and, and really more structural elements. Um, Patrick highlighted that so nicely yesterday to say we do need some structural components here. If we leave everything, you know, in the open there and undefined, um, they won't, it won't get us anywhere, right? So we do need some of um, these agreements, you know, that we see in the DAO space, uh, written on, on on chain, right? And from there, we can always refer back. You can see who was there. You can see who voted on what, right? You can see the conversation around it. 
but it's there. And it's this thing that's off the table, right? You you have an agreement and then you move on to uh, the next big thing. Um, and I think that's I, all I wanted to say at this point. Um, so the ecosystem space is really this this new space that we are really excited about. You know, once we have more and more DAO players coming onto the landscape, connecting, and then tackling the bigger issues, and then and then more ecosystems from there, right? Um, around blockchains, around uh, regenerative uh, movements, uh, initiatives that we are supporting very much in spaces like social political movements, we're active in that. Uh, socio-cultural things, you know, socio-psychological things, even you know, shifting mindsets, changing education, new ways of building schools. Um, there are a huge number of use cases here, and we're really excited to explore that in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can say I'm also very excited for the uh, Haifa beta launch. I'm actually, so excited I signed up twice. Um, so you may see two Andrews in there. <laughs> Um, I, I'm curious, is, uh, is Haifa eating its own dog food or like how much does Haifa use Haifa to <laughs> run the organization? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Believe it or not, we've used it from day one. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we actually looked, looked at the first interface we created on day one. We used that at that time, you know, five, almost five years ago to build seeds, seeds, the regenerative currency. And we started it as a DAO, right? And since then, we stayed inside the DAO. We always had uh, an organization that is very flat. You know, it's based on sociocratic principles. Never had bosses. You know, nobody can tell anyone else what to do. Um, we never had an HR department either. Um, and uh, we just arrange ourselves in these circles, you know, in uh, uh, sort of more, you know, strategic groups like a, a HIFA council that we have. Um, and uh, and make decisions, you know, and based on these decisions and outcomes, we move forward, uh, forward quite progressively. Um, it doesn't go without, you know, bigger discussions, of course, you know, there are tensions in these organizations, they're unavoidable, um, but you can figure out a way to, to do it, uh, you know, even, you know, think about it, even for, you know, four or five years, um, even, even not interfacing with uh, traditional, uh, you know, say, banking systems or, uh, uh, legal structures, right? We only did that very recently to to have sort of a grounding, you know, because now we're going, you know, into the open, you know, uh, launching this as a commercial product. Of course, you need to have some anchoring there, um, but it works. And that's the beauty of the DAO to me is you can do this without being so attached to what people think, you know, is necessary. And a DAO can do that, you know, it's decentralized. You can see a lot of sort of rethinking happening to, to now in traditional organizations. You know, should we be so centralized? Should that be so top-down and command and control driven? Or are we ready to sort of open it up? Open it up in terms of, well, this Gen Z out there, they want to see a different workplace, right? They want to work in whole different ways, right? They want to be recognized. They want to be participative. Um, and I think the DAO provides that kind of context. Uh, we're big, we're at the beginning really of a whole new journey here, too. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I, as you were saying, everyone's really looking at different ways to run a business. And uh, I feel like one of the big issues with DAOs has been the lack of tooling. You're, just sort of kind of the only way traditionally to run a DAO is with token weighted voting and um that has its own issues so i'm i'm just i i mean i said it already i'm very very excited about i got two two different DAOs i'll be setting up <laughs> that's the plan at least awesome uh, anyone uh in the audience have any questions for Joaquin
I had a quick question. Um, I, so this is Stephen. Of course, I've, I've worked with you guys a little bit in, in the past on this front with Haifa. It's been really exciting to see some of those progressions. Um, there's more a question for people who may be new to DAOs. Um, I'm, I'm interested uh, to just ask about some of the things that uh, have been worked on lately to really help with uh, user education and easy onboarding, as I understand that there are some really nice templates that you guys have put together and stuff. And um, as people may not be as familiar with how to use all of this different tooling and stuff, um, I think you guys have done some great work to help people get up and running. So maybe you could just speak to that quickly and uh, maybe encourage a few more people to even sign up for the waitlist. Sure, sure. Thanks, Stephen. And thanks for sticking along all you know, for, for the different milestones there. It was a great project. Um, so yes, uh, I would encourage you to go, first of all, to the Haifa.org uh, website. We recently added a whole new education section. Um, so we posted lots of new videos there. Um, these are videos from the uh, DAO activation series um, that I created uh, in terms of the operating uh, canvas model. Um, then Dominic has created some great how-to videos uh, to see how do you actually use that software. Um, what are the first steps you're taking there, right? There's some motivational stuff out there and some articles we posted too. Um, I think that gives you a good picture of uh, what this is and 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 uh, you know how you go about it. Um, but then also, you know, all of the DAOs are open, right? So you can peek into any of them and see, uh, okay, here are the people they have, you know, onboarded. Um, and and that is, I have to say, this is during the alpha program. So um, that was really uh, a, a space and time for us to figure out the basics. Um, so not much activity in those DAOs. A few of them are very active, but um, the majority just tried it out, right? Um, but I think you can sort of continue looking at that space as it evolves and really learn um, how they structure their organization, what kind of proposals they're putting out there, um, and they get a feel for it. Um, so f for me, you know, I mean, yeah, we could put out a lot of more documentation and uh, uh, we will put more of this uh, out there, but it's it's hard to read all of this. For me, this has a lot to do with exper experience it yourself, right? Um, so if you are willing to create your own DAO, we have a free plan, right? Uh, you can set it up with a few of your uh, first, you know, co-founders, colleagues, and, and try it out. Then you see how it, how it goes for you. Um, and then again, looking, learning from others, you know, in the same space. Uh, so, so for me, we're trying to focus on sort of expertise in, say, in a socio-political space or in the socio-ecological space, right? Because the patterns that you see coming out of these spaces will repeat, right? And uh, these are patterns that we can then package, and you mentioned templates, right? Put them into templates to see, so here's a DAO, um, here's what you need, right? So here are the fundamental building blocks for your template in a socio-regional um, innovative space, right? Um, you have a bunch of proposals, you know, policies. Uh, uh, here's a constitution that others have been used. Here are typical roles you see. This is how you reward people. So it can get you up to speed a lot faster, right? Um, but then you still have to process it. Um, and that, that to me, is one of the um, sort of harder things to overcome. Because once you enter these kind of decentralized spaces, you're really leaving the old 
mindset of where's the boss, you know, who's reporting to me behind, right? So now you have to reorient yourself, see who else is there, sort of find the resonance, find the alignment among the others, find your place really and in, inside the DAO and then move on from there. So it's, it's for me, it's reorientation, rethinking a lot, but with an open mindset, you know, with uh, people like you guys here, I mean, you're already so open about this. I mean, you've developed this, you know, this technology for so many years. Um, I think it's almost natural for you to move into these new spaces and then see what's possible from there. Yeah, and I, I just want to thank you for answering a question that I forgot to write down, which was about templates. And I, that's cool. I, I, I was thinking that as far as setting up your own DAO, it'd be very handy to have a template to work from. And that, that seems like a good way to do it, sort of um, section them off by their use case. That's great. Any other questions for uh, Haifa Dow? I have got a question for Joaquin. This is Perry from DNews. Yeah. Hey, Perry. Hello, hello. Uh, to me, it seems the the core of this, a core of of a of a Dow, uh, is incentivizing people from from different locations, different interests. Could you walk us through the different ways that, that Haifa would incentivize its contributors? All the way to, you know, how do they actually get paid? How does that work? What, what options are there available for somebody who's designing their DAO uh, to, to incentivize people with actual compensation? Well, sure. Great question. Great question. Now, let me dive a little bit into this. Um, so, and I'll give you Haifa, you know, as an example. Um, we're building, we've been building this product uh, using uh, our own compensation model, right? Our own way of uh, creating structure in the organization. So we have multiple ways of doing that. Um, you know, the, the standard way is sort of a, a contribution. You know, you see uh, something that you contribute to the DAO, right? And in return for your contribution, you earn rewards. And the Haifa DAO has three types of tokens to reward. Um, so number one is uh, what we call the utility token. Uh, so in, in the Haifa DAO case, it's the Haifa token, right? Uh, that's the utility that gives you access to services. But it's a token that you can earn, right? Because eventually it will increase in value and uh, eventually, you know, you can use that to exchange it into other currencies. Um, but so Haifa is one utility token. Second one we have is uh, what we call a cash token or payout token. Um, that's a token that you can use for redemption purposes, you know, for people who more urgently, let's say, need cash, you know, to pay their own bills. Um, and uh, the Haifa DAO supports that through a redemption process inside the DAO. So you could uh, say your compensation is, say, 50% in utility tokens and 50% in uh, these uh, more liquid um, payout tokens. And then from there, you can just uh, decide it in your own DAO, you know, what, what is the treasury, first of all? Do you have some, uh, you know, funds to, to pay out these more liquid tokens or not? Um, and then take it from there. And then there's a third token, and that's also very important for us. It's a, it's a, called a voice token um, that is now tied to the governance model of uh, the DAO. So you earn the voice over time. So the whole, the whole DAO is, is, is based on a concept called contribution accounting system. So you contribute, and in return, you earn these tokens. And the more you contribute, the more tokens you earn. And each DAO can define, you know, what the contribution is, you know, are we getting, you know, uh, we have these uh, called bands, you know, or, or tiers. 
um, that uh, you can assign the the uh, the vault to, um, and then and then reward people accordingly. Um, so in Haifa we have seven tiers, you know, seven tiers meaning more strategic, high level work, uh, in, you know, outreach work is probably B five, B six, B seven, uh, more routine work, standard, you know, stuff uh, uh, can be you know in in a lower category. But as soon as you are sort of voted into this role, um, then you start earning the tokens, right? So, so again, we have contributions. You know, it's a simple one one-off thing. You know, you contribute, you get the tokens. Or we have more of the long-term view of uh, the DAO to say you actually want to stay with us. You know, you want to stay with that DAO that you create, um, and uh, you you earn that vol and you get into the vol for two, three, six months. You know, for as long as um, you want to stay there. Um, and then we have a third category. I want to mention that briefly and then uh, back to you, um, which is called quests. Um, quests are like um, gaming quests, almost. <laughs> you, you define a quest is in two parts. Right? So quest is something you initiate and say, hey, I want to do this for the DAO. Um, here's what my proposal looks like. You know, Here's what I'm going to do. And here's what my reward will look like once I complete the quest. Right? Um, so you post that in the DAO. The DAO sees it and votes it votes on it. Um, and if it passes, you know, depending on the governance setting you have inside the DAO, um, you get to work on the quest. And then at the end, you post sort of the completion of the quest. And this is where you automatically get the payout that you proposed in the first part of it, right? It's again, it's a voting process, you know, because we do need to do some due diligence. Every DAO needs to do that for quests. Um, and then um, you get the rewards. Um, finally, these quests we're going to, um, I mentioned the community uh, layer that we're going to uh, roll out in a few weeks. Um, the community layer would also have the capacity to uh, launch quests. So you could invite people into your community space that are a bit further away, right? That are not directly engaged, maybe not have a role, maybe are not part of the circle, but they want to engage with the DAO. And for that, we have these community quests, right? So they can jump in and say, hey, I propose something here, um, maybe finding a sponsor inside the, the DAO core team, and then do the question and do the same thing what uh, you can do inside uh, the core team of the DAO. So multiple ways really to start participating in the DAO and start earning tokens. And you can start right away because every DAO um, has already sort of the built-in native token or utility token. So you can reward people for that. And that represents the value that you're building up over time. And that's really important because you're here for a reason, right? You're here for uh, building something, a product, a service, you know, something that eventually will uh, have some value for the wider network. And that's the token that uh, represents that kind of value. Too. Are there... Are there markets, trading markets for the, for any of the tokens, but especially the payout token? Like, how do you actually, how do you actually go about getting a fiat currency that you could you could pay sure. bills with? Sure. Yeah, real quick. Um, so the liquid token I mentioned, the payout token, is uh, tied to some treasury token that you're holding, right? That can be Bitcoin. That can be EOS token, right? Um, that uh, the treasury is holding, and as soon as you request that as part of your compensation, right, uh, say 10% of that is in liquid tokens, get that directly into your wallet. Um, something I didn't mention here, which is really important, Haifa also created its own wallet for this. So every transaction will go through your 
wallet to the Haifa wallet, um, and it, and that that is compatible with other wallets like Anchor too. Um, but it's much easier to use the Haifa wallet here, and you can see. Um, I think that's a feature that's coming next week or so. You can see all of the tokens you're holding inside the wallet, and so they go directly into into your account. And then it's, I mean, you own that, right? And then you can go take it anywhere into any exchange, um, and uh, and convert it into fiat currency if you like. And is that a custodial or non-custodial wallet? Haifa wallet. And custodial. Um, so we will have no control over um, the 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 or tokens that members are holding. Um, that that's the idea of Haifa. I mean, Haifa itself. The name stands for mycelium in the soil, right? Um, we're just there to enable things, right? Uh, invisibly and connecting things, uh, and we're not owning any of this, right? This is about. Uh, you guys creating your own organizations, you're holding your own tokens and uh, and as decentralized as possible as we can bring that. Yet, yet staying connected, right? Uh, in 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 this uh, universe we are we are building together. Now, right now, there's it's it's a difficult moment uh, in the in the crypto space for tokens, for ICOs, and and, and the like. If you can answer this, if you feel comfortable answering this, if you don't, that's fine. I, I completely understand. But how uh, do you? How, how would you see the Haifa token gaining value? Or were you just speaking generally? Each DAO can create their own utility token, and in the case of Haifa, it's it's your Haifa token. But uh, I, I guess I'm speaking specifically to the Haifa token. How how would the Haifa token gain in value? Sure, sure, great question. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of background, and I encourage you again to to look at uh, the Haifa website. Um, at the bottom, you see there's a section on a tokenomics white paper. So the Haifa token is tied towards a, uh, a tokenomics model that uh, we created with uh, Darren. Um, for quite a while now, and uh, we're launching that together with uh, the the Haifa DAO. What this is, it's a definition of the utility token of the service um, the token represents, right? So all of the activities, uh, if, if you you know sign up for a plan, um, you pay in Haifa tokens. Um, and uh, if uh, these Haifa tokens are gaining in value because more people are using it, because uh, the uh, uh, sort of tokenomics are evolving based on this. Um, we also are able to create a, sort of a, a microeconomy economy around this um, and reward people by uh, staking, HIFA, staking HIFA tokens, right? So one of the, the plans we have is the ecosystem plan um, where um, you can stake tokens uh, for, you know, larger uh, deployments uh, with a larger member base, right? And each member um, will uh, require to have a certain amount of tokens. I think it's about five tokens or, or less each um, that uh, will not be added to the tokenomics model, right? Um, and that's that's how we see Haifa works as sort of business that in itself provides value to the ecosystem, to the network. Um, but it's only us, right? So keep in mind, this is Haifa, Haifa tokens and, and that utility we provide. Every single DAO will have its own utility token and hopefully provide their own services, right? Can be technology services, you know, can be, um, you know, products, can be uh, 
things um, like uh, you want to know more about legal representation and legal organizational forms, there can be a DAO for that, right? Uh, I think Patrick already mentioned, you know, some of the DAOs he's planning to launch there. Every single DAO can have its own utility um, and they can use these tokens to say, hey, you want to have access to these services? Well, here's how you get them, right? And then that can be used uh, as working capital inside your own DAO. Yeah, I didn't get into to the regulatory landscape, right? How difficult it is, you know, out there right now in the US. Um, and uh, I think, I think to be honest, in Europe is making great strides right now. Um, they have uh, uh, created the Mika regulation. Um, so Mika stands for Markets and Crypto Assets. Um, and they did a great job really of defining, you know, what kind of tokens these are, you know, what's a security token versus what's a utility token. So there's clarity around that, regulatory clarity. Less, less so, you know, it, it, it will take time, I think, before that, that exists. Uh, Sophia. Yes, the U.S. is failing uh, pretty bad in crypto. I want to give other people a chance to ask questions, but I want to ask one last important question which is a follow-up on the token uh, regarding scarcity. In other words, are there any features available to, to DAOs and ultimately to, to the community that holds the token that guarantee, that set or guarantee uh, scarcity? In other words, the quantity of the, of the tokens themselves. Um. Every DAO can decide that on their own terms, right? Uh, they can set what the quantity is. You know, we have a limit of tokens for the HIFAT token. Um, others um, will have different limits that they can set. Um, up to, I mean, up to, you know, unlimited, you know. When we started HIFA, we said it's a contribution accounting model. So the more value we create by people contributing, you know, by uh, going on quests, you know, taking on roles, uh, the more tokens should be there, right? Um, that was the the early model here, and that's to me still a valid accounting model, because you know if the assumption is that you know the value will increase of the token, and you're not going overboard suddenly, right? Um, so if that increases slowly over time, um, you still you know can continue to use that and even go to uh, secondary markets at some point, right? Um, we changed that because of the tokenomics white paper that, uh, yeah, thanks, Patrick, for sharing that. That's great. Take a look at that. Um, and uh, we have a limited contingent of, of uh, HIFA tokens right now. That's great. Okay. Th thank you, Antin. Anytime, Barry. Yeah, just a shout out for that excellent Q&A sec section. Uh, thank you, Perry, for your excellent questions and, and Joaquim for your, for your answers. Very enlightening. So now I think it might be a good time to move on. We can uh, talk more about HaifaDAO um, later or uh, next week, uh, seeing as that will be the uh, launch day itself. Um, but for now, I think we can uh, move on to our next topic, which is uh, Change Now USDT Listing, um, which we chatted about last week. But this week, we've got Kate in the house who's going to help give us a little bit of background. So, uh, Kate, are you, uh, are you available? Thank you for yeah. sticking around. Appreciate it. Uh, do you want to give us some background on the project and the story behind the partnership? Yeah, 
of course. Thanks. Uh, I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, well, happy to be here and happy to share um, something about change now and uh, also no payments because uh, so we have this whole now solutions uh, suite of tools. One of them is Change Now, which is an exchange service and also a liquidity aggregator. And the second one is No Payments, which is the crypto payment gateway. And both of them support EOS and, as of recently, uh, EOS USDT, which is amazing, especially for payments, I believe. And uh, just to give you a very quick overview of what you can do with Change Now and No Payments. Uh, is this. So uh, ChangeNow has a cross-chain swaps API, which other projects can use to integrate <laughs> cross-chain swaps. For example, if we have a wallet uh, that wants to add USDT EOS swaps to and from like 900 other assets that we support, they can take our API, integrate it, and then their users would be able to swap to and from EOS, USDT EOS, and all of the other 70 blockchains that we have. And the cool point about this is that we also have fiat on-ramp right in the API because we have the fiat endpoints. So that's for change now. Businesses. We also, of course, are a service for users, so people can just come to change now website and uh, do cross chain swaps. That's change now. And uh, as I mentioned, we have no payments, which also supports USDT, uh, EOS, and stable coins on no payments are one of the most popular assets for merchants, of course, <laughs> because it's stable coins. So what is possible now is that. Any kind of business can start accepting USDT EOS uh, or uh, allow people to pay in it. And we have custom solutions for different kinds of businesses. So we have like a custom API for the NFT marketplaces or just marketplaces. We have custom API for gaming and also gambling <laughs> and also e-commerce because we have like special plugins and so on. And uh, last but not least, both change now and no payments can uh, keep adding more tokens, uh, you know, EOS tokens or any other tokens, uh, because we have this solution being a liquidity aggregator. We can basically list any token that is anywhere, and if it's not anywhere, <laughs> then we have our own liquidity pool solution. Uh, where we can use project's liquidity and integrate the token anyways, and it will again be available for cross-chain swaps, EOS and other tokens, and for payments. So I guess that's a very short overview, but I just covered like 10% of what we can do. Uh, so I'm just hoping you like for a Q&A session, if it's of, <laughs> of interest for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I I was uh, doing a little bit bit of research, um, and nine hundred currencies is pretty impressive. Uh, but there are over nine thousand cryptocurrencies to choose from. Um, so I'm I'm just curious, how does uh, Change Now Now Payments uh, decide which projects to partner with and which assets to include? Yeah, good question. Thanks. So um, it works both ways, uh, meaning that. 
some projects come to us and um, ask if they can be integrated and so on. And uh, on the other stand, and sorry, aside, uh, we do some kind of uh, like research on our uh, on our side and see what kind of assets would make sense for merchants to have which kind of assets are like very popular now, which L1s, L2s, L3s or whatever uh, are there and would be in demand. And based on that, you know, we draw our integrations. Like, for example, with UCT EOS, uh, our focus was to try and add as many stable coins on, you know, uh, the most perfect blockchains that we can find as possible. Uh, so that our merchants would be able to use stable coins and uh, enjoy the, you know, low fees, for example, or fast processing times and so on. That's very cool. It gives uh, gives some good context there. Um, I'm yeah. I'm curious too. So we got change now. There's now payments. Um, I was looking. There's also now tracker, lightning now, now nodes, now custody. Um, oh yeah. Are there more nows in the works? What's what's coming soon in the now world? <laughs> no, well, that's fun. Uh, yeah, actually, um, this is a whole ecosystem. Uh, like I mentioned, we have now solutions, which is like solutions, uh, crypto solutions for business, uh, which is change now, no payments, and uh, also no nodes. Uh, and now custody, like you mentioned, because we're trying to create like uh, every solution for every kind of industry that might, you know, uh, require uh, anything out there. And then we have uh, projects for user business to customer B2C projects like now Wallet, uh, now Tracker, and uh, something else I keep forgetting. Because me myself, I'm more on the change now, no payment side. I'm all for payments and cross-chain swaps. Uh, but uh, yeah, we do have our wallet, for example. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's for traditional businesses that are trying to get into or maybe trying to leverage some of the benefits of blockchain. I think that's a, a really important piece of the puzzle, uh, sort of giving them an onboarding option that's, uh, you know, that they're familiar with. Uh, be here now, mm -hmm. says Lovejoy. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's very cool. Uh, any any questions from the uh, from the community? Take take a little little QA here. One question that cropped up last week while we were discussing this was uh, uh, regarding subscription payments. Mm -hmm. I was looking at a uh, now payments and uh, it, it, is that an option to to have subscriptions? It looked like there was some sort of maybe you you preload the uh, uh, yeah your account or something. Yeah, uh, this this is a cool question. Thanks. Uh, it actually brings me to what kind of payments we allow. We do have uh, an API for recurrent payments, like subscriptions, where merchants can set up uh, like uh, email subscriptions for their customers and uh, emails and the frequency and the emails to their customers would go out, like for example, once a month or once like. Um, whatever 
uh, with the invoice, and uh, it's done through our API. We also have, you know, other custom solutions, like for example, app an API for mass payouts. If you want to do like uh, rewards, send rewards to uh, like thousands of wallets or whatever, or send salaries. That's actually my <laughs> kind of dream to get some big company to send salaries and, for example, USDT EOS to the clients, which they can if they use our mass payouts API. Yeah. Huh. So it's it's more of a, a monthly invoicing kind of. It's not like automatically pulling the crypto from someone's wallet, as I understand. It's uh, it's, it's sending uh, them an invoice, which then they'll uh, sort of. It's kind of uh, so. If we're talking about mass payouts API, it's done uh, like this. Like for example, a company uh, can create a custodial account uh, uh, using no payments. So usually we are non-custodial and your funds, I mean merchants' funds, they don't go to our accounts, they go straight to the merchant's account. But uh, if a business's business model <laughs> requires custodial flow, then they can create a custodial account with no payments. They can store their funds there. And then when they need to, for example, send payouts or salaries to their uh, you know, employees, they can do that via our API in one click. They would be able to send uh, funds automatically to many wallets from their account, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, uh, it's like a way to do payroll, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's a very, very fun use case. I'm just dying to see it implemented somewhere. Maybe I can ask a, a, different, uh, a different way about subscriptions. Let's say I have a website and I want to charge all of my my logged in users. I want to I want to offer all my logged in users services uh, for a monthly charge. Uh, mm -hmm. How 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 close to a subscription do I get using your service? Yeah, that's uh, if I understand the question correctly. That's exactly what you can do because um, in your account you would be able to set up. Uh, to uh, for example, you can add. Uh, a, so, sorry, I'm I'm just trying to remember how the account for the merchant works. But yes, you can add your customer emails, like a whole you know spreadsheet of them, and then set up the recurrent email with the invoice to them with the frequency that you choose. And then and then when they get that email. And they, at their at their leisure, at their convenience, they choose to pay or not. Interesting question. Well, yeah, I think uh, it's usually how it works with you know <laughs> subscriptions. So they get the email with the invoice where it specifies when how uh, they should pay. Well, not all subscriptions work that way, and I'm just trying to understand that. Where where you guys are at? I mean, it's okay if you're not, because I don't know if any other services have gone that far to to have an automated subscription service of the kind. No, that I see, I see. Right, okay. the normal kind mm -hmm. that you would use with credit card is what I'm asking. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> yeah, I just blanked on the normal flow for subscriptions. Yeah, so where we are at is this, um, in this case, semi-automatic subscription model, where the automatic part is the sending of the email, the invoice, the frequency, but it's not charging uh, your client's wallet automatically because that's like... I don't think it really works with Scripture. Uh, maybe there is a way, but it's not something that we do right now. I would suggest that that's uh, almost uh, better than the than me getting charged twenty dollars every month for something I signed up for a long time ago <laughs> and forgot <Yeah>. about. <laughs> and then forgot. Yeah. Good point. Good point. From from a customer standpoint, I'm sure from the business's standpoint, they much prefer um, just taking it out of my uh, or putting it on my credit card every month automatically. Two sides to every coin. And any any other questions for uh, for change now here? Uh, I can. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just uh, remembered of something uh, to add to this conversation about automatic stuff. So we have, for example, this custody solution, <laughs> no custody, uh, which you mentioned. Uh, what it involves, for example, if we are talking about marketplaces. Uh, the marketplace would have its uh, kind of master account and it would be able to create a kind of deposit accounts for the users or players or merchants uh, who are using this marketplace or game or whatever it is. And in this case, the deposit accounts would be able to set up recurring payments to the master account. If if that's of help. <laughs> Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, so, yeah, so it sounds like you can set up sort of, uh, you can almost deposit like a maximum amount that you would want to spend on that service, and then it can automatically deduct that until it runs out, and then you can recharge it if you want. Kind of like this, yeah, but it would have to be like um, this um, whole API solution enabled uh, for this particular business because it requires, again, setting up the big account, the deposit accounts for each of the user player or merchant. But yeah, the model would be more automatic. Mm-hmm. That's that's very cool. I'm I'm stoked to learn about the, the API, uh, the, the just that you guys offer those. I had seen your services in terms of uh, like the wallet and stuff that I was impressed with that already, but yeah, um, seeing that developers can leverage these solutions in their solutions uh, just by using the API, that's that's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, anything else on this topic? Open it up for uh, if anyone's got any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us, and and thanks for all all the questions, EOS community. Uh, I hope you stick around. Got lots more to talk about.
All right. So moving on to our next topic, uh, we've got an update from EOS Labs, which is uh, was covered in the September EOS Block Producer meeting recap. And I will share that document here. There's lots of stuff in here, various things about, uh, for example, uh, Leap Five and the uh, and the uh, sort of the the scope of Leap Five, which is um, yeah, there's there's details in this article. You can check it out um, if you're interested. But on the EOS Labs side, um, uh, EOS Labs under the leadership of uh, founder and CEO, I preemptively apologize because I'm going to try and pronounce this. Uh, Huaqing Wen. And apologies if I got that wrong. I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, Huaqing Wen has been actively engaging in various projects and investments, um, or rather EOS Labs has, um, to enhance the EOS ecosystem. So recently the team communicated with 107 different projects. Uh, 22 of these are related to investments, and four are currently in the onboarding process. Uh, EOS Labs is cooperating with uh, licensed and compliant institutions, like centralized exchanges, to issue Bitcoin, stablecoins, and other assets on EOS. Uh, Labs is also looking into introducing real-world assets in the future, which could bridge the gap between tangible assets and digital assets. Um, this is something very similar to what Chinta is doing, and they may even be working together. I don't have any information on that, so that's mere speculation on my part, but definitely they're in the real real world assets game. And this all provides new investment and utility opportunities within the ecosystem. And then in the gaming sphere, uh, EOS Labs is reaching out to various game developers and platforms with a particular emphasis on social games. Uh, aiming to integrate and expand the gaming experience on the EOS network. Uh, also, uh, they've been exploring a Telegram mini app, which would allow users to engage with games or utilize Web3 applications without having to leave Telegram. So that's that's very, very cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure there's all sorts of other stuff uh, that EOS Labs is up to that just was not covered in this article, but uh, yeah, uh, you can feel free to read the article if you're interested in learning more. And uh, with that, I will uh, open it up in case anyone's got questions or comments or wants to uh, discuss about uh, EOS Labs and, and this update from them. I'll pick a different song for this one. Watching. Or just Winston, I guess. Okay. <laughs> watching. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm sorry, watching for mutilating the pronunciation of your name earlier. It sounds like we can move on to our next topic here. Uh, so heads up, uh, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure we have some uh, Eden members in here, but Eden uh, has 
changed its branding. So now Eden is upscale. And the upscale elections are coming up. So term eight, which will be the next term, registration. Um, the deadline for registration is this Friday on the 6th of October. And uh, you got to make sure to register by 1300 UTC, uh, which is, let's see if I can do my math, 5 or 6 a.m. Uh, where I am on in uh, Pacific time. Nice. Looks like Jambles will also be in there. Um, so is this... Oh, no, that's the Twitter. Let me share the uh, the registration link um, for those who have not yet uh, joined Upscale. You can also visit this link and uh, go through the uh, go through the process of uh, being invited and then um, being onboarded onto Upscale. Uh, maybe I'll share the new Twitter handle as well, which is uh, Upscale Now IO. Um, and with that, I know we have some Eden. Sorry, let's. Uh, <laughs> I know we have some Upscale members here. Uh, if anyone would like to share a little bit more context about this, you're open to. I uh, haven't been keeping it up as much as I should, so um, I. Personally, I'm not bet best suited to answer questions, but I'm glad to attempt if anyone's got questions here. I'll trigger the music. I just posted link to the uh, the new Twitter, or rather the new X, I guess. Uh, Eden and Twitter. Nope. It's upscale and X. All right, I think I posted the wrong Twitter profile. So that second Twitter profile is the right Twitter profile. Sorry, second X profile. <laughs> Gonna have to get used to these. little DJ move on my part. Uh, sounds like we can move on. Uh, up next, we can chat a little bit about uh, EOS support. Uh, so actually got two different items about uh, Twix. Uh, we got two different articles about EOS support, um, or maybe items, not quite articles. One of them is a partnership between EOS support and EVM name service, or EVMNS which I wanted to highlight because this is the first, as far as I understand, this is the first EVM-based project for EOS support. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, there's a, there's a post right there. You can check it out. Um, in addition, uh, EOS support has also created an article about how to use PBOX, which is a privacy DAP. 
Um, and I can post about that as well. This is, is all in the chat if you feel like learning a little bit more. Um, so yeah, if there's a, if anyone's got, got any, any additional context to add to this, you're welcome to. Uh, maybe I'll do a backwards one this time. Uh, next, we will chat a little bit about Pomelo. So Pomelo is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I'm the product owner, so you would expect that. Um, Pomelo is now halfway through its seventh, seventh season with over 4,000 EOS already donated from over 150 contributors. We've had 110 applications and 87 have been approved. There's still one week left to get your applications in. So if you've uh, got an idea for, or if you've got a project that's uh, looking, that is a public good and is looking for funding from uh, the EOS community, uh, make sure to get your applications in. And then we've got two weeks left for donations. So support your favorite projects and help determine how the network funds the community. Uh, thank you, donors and grant owners, for your enthusiasm and commitment to delivering valuable public goods to the EOS and EOCVM ecosystems. Uh, next week, we will be having a rapid-fire fireside pitch session in this very Discord channel. Uh, in addition, approved grants can sign up for the regular pitch sessions. Uh, there are still slots available, so that'll be with our very own Martin Brewer. and. The form is right here. Uh, just posted it in chat, so feel free to sign up for a pitch session. Uh, there are English, Chinese, and Korean language pitch sessions. Uh, the English pitch sessions will be on Friday, October 6th and 13th at 1600 UTC. Our Chinese pitch sessions will be on Friday, October 6th and 13th, uh, but this time at 12 o'clock UTC. And then the Korean pitch sessions will be on Thursday, the day before, uh, on October 5th and October 12th at 12 o'clock UTC. And for those of you who are interested in joining uh, the pitch sessions, uh, or you're interested in seeing some of the projects that have been on previous pitch sessions, we've actually got a Pomelo collection of all of the projects that have joined the pitch sessions. So feel free to peruse those. And then if you'd like to learn more, you got the perfect platform to go and learn more, which is those aforementioned pitch sessions. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if we got any, uh, in, uh, I'm sure we do have some Pomelo participants in here. Uh, if you're interested in, in sharing your experience or you got any questions, uh, now's the time.
Bonjour. Hey, how's it going? That sounds like Patrick. Yeah. How is going? Oopsies. It's going pretty good. I did accidentally just re-trigger that song, but that's all good. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, fine. Thank you. I, I just want to make a commentary about uh, Pomelo season seven. So as you know, it's supposed to be the last season, but who knows? Maybe there will be rebirth from the sand when we will be uh, into the next bull run. And I just posted here into the chat the, the last interview, the latest interview with Daniel Keyes about Pomelo season seven update. I encourage everyone to, to go there and follow the discussion, what we were discussing with Daniel Keyes. Different topics about uh, end of season six, now Pomelo season seven, and the ongoing bounty. I'm very, uh, uh, let's say, uh, very uh, enthusiastic with those uh, bounties coming. Because I will uh, create a bounty with EOS Den, with Pomelo, uh, for the Pomelo users. So that's very important um, to, to finish on this uh, season seven, the grants, and then uh, go to the bounty. So, yeah, just want to say very motivated with this season. I encourage everyone to give to all the Pomelo grants that you that you love. There is your support, there is EOS Bees, there is the hidden reputation by Mo, shout out to Mo, chief delegate with me, by the way, on Tom7. He has uh, the hidden reputation system on, on Pomelo since a while, so that was, that was uh, accepted again. Uh, and there are uh, EOS Vision by Veronica Diaz, give there also. So basically, give to every grant that you can give, collaborate with those grants that just not, not just to give uh, some uh, EOS to them, but try to understand their project, try to enter in contact with and collaborate because that's the mindset shifting. We have to collaborate between the platforms. That's very important. You have fantastic project on Pomelo since the beginning. Um, and yeah, I encourage everyone to, to go there and, and donate. Also, if, you see, if it is one EOS, uh, that's okay. Um, the gesture is there and there is the quadrating matching formula amplifying the numbers. So yeah, and do your best on this season and um, be, be very um, honest with your donation uh, between uh, the project that you support play the game, play the rules of Pomelo. Uh, that's uh, public uh, goods. So who knows that will maybe continue after season, season, seven, season seven, but for the moment there is a break because the market conditions. So I say Pomelo could rebirth of his sons and it's, it's not the, the last time, I think. Uh, there is more to come. Uh, like you, Andrew, shout out to you. I, I love Pomelo. So go Pomelo. <laughs> Go Pomelo. I love it. Yeah. And, and thank you for that great call to action. Uh, yeah, this is uh, the last season until we're going to go into sort of a hibernation period while we're releasing bounties. Um, but uh, I, I will say that I am also very excited for bounties. I have been um, looking at it in the context of how would I want to use this? Um, because I do want to use this. I have Pomelo funds for a project that I would like to work on. And they've just been sitting there waiting for some sort of bounty platform uh, so that I can post a GitHub issue and then just get 
pay someone to work on it. Um, so that's something I am also very much looking forward to. Um, so thank you for highlighting that, Patrick. Um, and that's where uh, we're still working on kind of finalizing it to the point where it can be, uh, where we can release it in beta. Um, okay. And that's, that will be very soon. This is where we're targeting the end of the sprint. So, Excellent. I am ready for that. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's not the first time you've heard that from me. But <laughs> just just yeah, yeah. know that, that I understand your enthusiasm and uh, the, the intention is there on our side. And we're just trying to get things all squared away before we're uh, dealing with actual dollars. Yeah. Yeah. The Pomelo Play token. Yeah, well, so we're we're looking at uh, moving to actual tokens for for the testing. So that way you can actually post a real issue and actually have someone really uh, try and claim it. It's hard to get someone to work for like junk play tokens that are that don't have any liquidity pool anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I, I want to say shout out to the team Pomelo. Um, also, you are not using Shopify to do the website for the um, for the bounty. You are not using the Shopify. You are using another uh, website. You do your own uh, thing under the umbrella of Pomelo. And I think that makes sense to separate the things loosely coupled. Then you can just connect the, the website between them and uh, enrich the experience of Pomelo, uh, the Pomelo main, main website with the bounty because that will be accessible from there. So I, I, I am very, uh, cannot wait to see the, the, the UI. I think that has been approved by, by uh, ENF, correct, uh, Andrew? The, the UI has been uh, tested and approved, correct? Uh, I, I don't know what you'd call approved, but... Uh, I, we have <laughs> shared it with, uh, with some, some ENF, uh, engineers. Love, Lovejoy got a chance to try it out as did, uh, Nathan James. Um, yeah. but I, I will let you guys know, we took your feedback, um, and, uh, embraced it in stride. There were some, a, a few UI issues that we had to, uh, rethink the flow a little bit, but that's a, so thank you to, uh, I mean, among others, uh, Lovejoy and Nathan for your, uh, for yeah, your if Lovejoy, uh, if Lovejoy has tested, uh, I think it's okay. Yeah. We can use. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Cause he complains about everything. So, you know, if, yeah, if it works for, if it works for me, then that's works for others for sure. <laughs> yeah. This, this is like what I was talking about earlier about. That's what's fun about beta testing is you you just play with the tool and then you complain about it, and it turns out that's actually what they want. <laughs> that's what we want, though. Yeah, yeah I, I will go to Lovejoy in case, and I will claim uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, uh, Brandon, to have make the test. That's uh, very uh, securizing. That's fun, and Drew made it fun, and. Uh... Um, yeah, I'd never actually done that before, so it was kind of cool to go through the process. And then, by golly, they made changes that reflected my actual input. I was just floored, and it looked 
it, it improved before my very eyes. So, yeah. Well, the first love joy tester, indeed. Uh, and I wasn't the first tester, and I wasn't the last tester. It was just somewhere tucked, tucked in the middle there, somewhere. Excellent. Yeah, we tested with with our own team before uh, shipping out elsewhere, but um, you you provided some some very valuable feedback, and a lot of it wasn't in what you said; it was just in us watching you look go around the site and click on things and try and figure out where things are. Like, look how confused he is! It's right there. It's right exactly. there. Click it. <laughs> where, where I don't understand where to go next. What's what? What do I do now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that input is is often just as valuable, if not more valuable, than actually you know writing down the things that you notice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, any anything else on on Pomelo? All right, moving on. Uh, just a real quick shout out to the EOS network. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but the EOS community has surpassed 6 million accounts on the EOS network. Uh, on average, this represents adding more than a million accounts each year the chain has been running uninterrupted. Uh, so quick shout out to the, the GMs and the MLTs of the EOS world for providing your namespace and your UX expertise and helping onboard users onto the EOS network. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have accounts. I'm one of the six million, or actually I think I'm five of the six million, but who's counting? Um, and yeah, I don't know if anyone has anything to say on that. That's not much to say, six million, it's a big number. Uh, but with that, I think we can move on, not too much to talk about there, um, to a new EOS Rebels coding tutorial, which is related to something that I remember talking to Nathan James about a few firesides back, which is the To Don't app. So let me share this link here, which will allow you to build a To Don't app in 20 minutes using next 13 and I can't see the rest of the preview, but I'm assuming it's Worf as well as. This Anthony? one is EVM actually. Okay. So using Shoot. Solidity, hard hat. <laughs> uh -huh. there, there's actually a couple interesting things here. So I'll, I'll just dig in for you. Um, there's a new tool in there called quick hat. Quick hat, hard hat is a development framework for EVM things, and it's particularly annoying to set up. You have to grab dependencies and then wait to see what you don't have, and you have to grab more dependencies, and it's got a really bad flow. Um, and also setting it up, setting the configurations up is wildly annoying. Um, so a new CLI, a command line interface, was created called QuickHat, and it sets up all of this EVM development tooling very quickly with just one command line. Uh, and it also sets up EOS, EVM, within there. So you have access to all the other networks. 
as well as EOS EVM, putting it at the top of the stack, making it kind of the very first class citizen of uh, hard hat development. Um, and then inside of this guide, uh, as you said before, this is from the EOS Rebels. So we do things that others don't, and everybody else creates to do apps. So we're creating a to don't app. And it's going into some of the latest and greatest technologies, one of them being Next.js 13, which is, uh, if you've ever heard of anything related to web development, you've probably heard the name React. It's created by Facebook. Uh, it's the most widely used framework for creating web pages, basically. Um, and it digs into some of the new stuff there, putting it into a real build-as-you-go-along application while showcasing developing a blockchain application using the ELCVM. So it does both the smart contract side, it does the web page side, it connects everything together using um, a framework called Ethers, which is also the most, well, one of the most used front end SDKs or, or web page SDKs for <laughs> all of these acronyms, web page software development kits for integrating blockchain applications into websites. Um, and it does it as quickly as possible. So learning how to do a blockchain application as you follow along in 20 minutes is not an easy feat. And it's aimed at a little bit more of a technical audience versus the target of an inexperienced audience. And the goal here is to showcase the, the features of Quick Hat, which is this, uh, this, command line interface toolkit to be able to raise um, the Ethereum development test, testing frameworks while putting EOS at the forefront of it. And also get other developers who are interested in blockchain development, but have not had a chance to kind of mess around with the new features of some of these tools. Uh, so it pulls them through this in the attempts to get them to develop on the EOS network as something new and exciting alongside the rest of these new and exciting tools. That's cool. I'm curious, uh, the other, uh, the Tamagotchi app that we were taking a look at, that used the uh, EOS Web IDE. Um, presumably, right. since this is EVM, it's not using the Web IDE? That's right. So this is the other side of it in in the Ethereum slash EVM world, you have Remix, which is kind of Ethereum's web ID. Um, and then the other side of being that development cycle is developing locally. And that's where Hardhat, this local Ethereum development framework comes into play. Uh, so this we, we couldn't use the EOS Web IDE for this, even if we wanted to, because it's specifically targeted at EOS native, and it doesn't support EOS BVM development, because there already exists another Web IDE called Remix, which does support EOS EVM development. That's cool. So uh, does this uh, does this tutorial also cover deploying to EOS EVM? It does. So it deploys to the EOS EVM testnet. While I was recording it, I actually had it deploying locally, and then I decided to scratch half of the video that I already already done and redo it to make sure that it was deploying to an EOS network throughout the video instead of just an additional thing at the end, because in a lot of these YouTube videos, they don't reach the end. So I wanted to make it 
very certain that people who watched at least halfway through the video were seeing the deployment to the EOS EVM testnet. That's very cool. Smart. That's great. Um, one thing I'll add, um, I, I realize you mentioned EOS Rebels does things that nobody else is doing. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Paris Hilton actually uh, created her own Tamagotchi app. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, I do remember you offering a 50 EOS uh, <laughs> a 50 EOS bounty to the first person to build the Tamagotchi app. So I don't know if Paris Hilton knows this, but she is the winner. <laughs> So actually, I said deploy it to the EOS network, which oh, nobody yeah. has yet, which is astounding because you could literally just copy this down to your local. There's a video which will tell you how to do it. So go do it. Yeah. And I, I think I think uh, just based on looking at the comments, I think Paris Hilton released it on Ave, Ave. I don't even know how to pronounce that blockchain. But uh. Uh, that's a good point. She did not deploy it to the EOS blockchain. So, in our Still, defense, we did it first. <laughs> yes, by Paris Hilton is just copying really? EOS. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What? So it's it, it's not as if uh, so EOS Rebels was really first to the party. Oof, that's right. Everybody else is just copycats. That's spirit. a good news. Very good news. And uh, our our very own Martin Brewer responded to Paris Hilton's tweet by sharing EOS Rebels Tamagotchi tutorial. So if you feel like boosting that, <laughs> feel free to That's like, awesome. retweet, etc. Help boost its reach. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious: is there also going to be a, a a prize for the first to build the to don't app? I feel like maybe there will be more interest in a to don't app. I know I I was mentioning it to someone. I think uh, maybe even I think I was talking with Brandon earlier, and he was like, "I could really use a to don't app." <laughs> Which fair enough. We could all use a to don't app. Um, I'll tell you what. There's a since since we're going to grow this list of of bounties uh, and the challenges app is not ready yet and is behind a couple other uh, more important things that are aimed at bringing developers into the ecosystem versus keeping them in the ecosystem. Uh, I will set up a spreadsheet and relay it to all of the EOS chats, and this will serve as our really dumb MVP for the challenges system to get people starting to build this stuff. That's cool. Is the challenges system that you mentioned, is that another tutorial that's that's going to be coming out? No, it's an addition to the learn portal. So um, it's actually put up to the, to the, some of it is pushed up to the main branch because I had to push other stuff there. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing, right? They're just challenges that developers have to do and they gain points. And at the end of, this period, whether it's two weeks or a month or whatever it might be, whoever has the most points wins prizes, right? So it's kind of the same thing that we're doing here. And uh, the reason it's on, it's being pushed back by other initiatives is because it's one of those things that you give to developers who are already in the ecosystem 
to keep them engaged and really um, you know just keep them within the ecosystem. But right now, it's way more important for us to bring new developers into the ecosystem. So some other initiatives like the cohort that we're planning and uh, a couple other things that I don't think we've talked about yet uh, are taking precedence over it. Well, that's that's cool to hear. I I love gamification in general, and I think gamification of coding is a great way to incentivize people to to join in and and actually you know do the work, if you will. Couldn't agree more. I think um, so. The thing with this specific initiative, the the challenges is that it doesn't really have to be the app that I'm envisioning or the app that I'm building for the moment. It really can just be a spreadsheet with some numbers and the task, and we'll just float that around for a while, see if uh, people take to it. And if people do it, then I'll put some more effort into uh, having the Challenges app take precedence over some other things, perhaps. Yeah, but I, I, I do agree that the um, getting getting developers into the ecosystem is it's sort of like it's the classic sales funnel where you've got it it's sort of um you, you get you know if you have good customer retention then you can you know grab them at the top of the funnel and then the it seems like the idea of the uh the challenge app is to sort of keep them in that funnel without them without uh the customer churn right it's kind of pushing it's also kind of pushing them deeper into the evangelical or evangelism uh funnel as well so People have contributed feel better about telling people who have contributed and when things feel better about telling other people about an ecosystem because they're excited that they they won something within that ecosystem. Um, but it while building it, it constantly feels like putting the horse before the cart because those other things of the top of funnel pulling pulling developers into the ecosystem is just more pressing at the moment than feeding the developers that are currently in the ecosystem. Not to say I don't love the developers in the in the ecosystem. I absolutely do. Uh, they're all like long time friends of mine. But we need some new blood here, and that that's really just the most important thing. Yeah, and these tutorials present a really good way of bringing in new blood. I am not a developer, but after watching these tutorials, I feel like I could be. It uh, definitely that's really the distills aim. it and makes it less uh, uh, less scary. They're, so looking at the metrics for them is interesting as well. They're doing better than most of the other videos that we've been putting out recently. And the, the, they're starting to compound on that channel. So the first one got about a reach of uh, 2,000 impressions naturally from, from YouTube just the way that the system works. Uh, the next video has already, I think, 3,500 impressions with only three days out. The other video was posted, I think, two and a half weeks ago or something like that. Um, I already have another video, which is almost ready, and I'm working on another one. So YouTube, the way that it works is it starts to compound. The more you put out, the more it gives you the ability to reach others, and it tests your videos against others. And it's something that we've been sorely lacking within our ecosystem for a while. Really polished videos that are aimed directly at developers not aimed at token holders not aimed at any of that other stuff not within a channel that is aimed at potentially multiple targets 
but just at developers, which is something that the the YouTube algorithm really likes it and expects. Um, and we just haven't had much of that. It's, I think the last uh, couple big channels that we had like that were maybe two or three years ago. So it's really pressing and it's time to, to start jumping on it. And I'm glad to see that the metrics are starting to show. Yeah, I was just thinking about, I think, um, I, I don't recall his name. I think it might have been Peter. Uh, might be mistaken about Peter that. G. Yes. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I remember he was doing, that's kind of the only content I could find reliably on YouTube about uh, developing on EOS. And that was, I think, released 2019 or something. It was pretty behind the times. There's, there's a couple of them. There's Peter Key. There's OCI. There's, there's a couple of... Uh individuals who are creating content about it but like you mentioned they're they're quite legacy i actually just removed a bunch of them from the learn portal because now we're starting to have enough content to actually fill it up uh, and i don't like seeing that legacy content up there because it just some of it this doesn't lead you down the right path anymore you couldn't even develop like that if you wanted to because the tools have changed so it's really good for us to have up-to-date developer content which is visual because we have a really good documentation uh, now for new developers coming into the ecosystem we have really good new tooling the wharf sdk uh, and all of the evm tooling is just standard evm tooling we don't even have to really worry about documentation for that because there's so much of it already on the internet so we're missing that one piece which is visual content for eos because we can use so you could go right now and take the 32 hour course on if on solidity development with foundry on youtube but it's only ever going to point you towards ethereum and we're we're lacking content out there which pushes you towards eos but captures the solidity slash evm slash ethereum uh developer community which is a big chunk of the keywords that are being searched on on YouTube. So they might search blockchain development, uh, but they also might search solidity development or Ethereum development, and we're just nowhere within those keywords at the moment. Sounds like some pretty pro level algorithm hacking. Growth Especially, hacking. I really don't the, like uh, that term, but it is growth hacking. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, maybe not the best term for it, but understanding the algorithm such that you can uh, tune your release schedule to it, for example. Uh, that seems like, it, it sounds like that's a pretty uh, big part of what YouTube uses to decide what to show to people. How often do you post videos? So yeah, when you post is not, it's not really important how often you post. So if, if you have a good cadence, it really uh, helps you. And there's a you know a lot of YouTubers and people on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok less, but there's uh, a common knowledge and it's common knowledge among the people who, who create content, not necessarily the wider audience, but it's common knowledge among them that it's kind of taboo to go on like a two week vacation and not post anything because when you come back, you're it's basically like starting half from scratch again because the algorithm's just like oh you left goodbye we're we're gonna de the platform you basically. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize that was a thing. That's awesome. Uh, well, maybe I'll open up 
now if anyone's got some questions about uh, the uh, build on EOS coding tutorial or uh, if anyone has anything else to add, I'm sure uh, there's uh, there's more to talk about there. But yeah, feel free to ask if you got any questions. And uh, I see uh, Yana mentioned uh, Wittgenstein. Um, I was uh, right behind Wittgenstein on the EOS Knights leaderboard back in the day. That's, that's one for OGs. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us here, Nathan. It was uh, cool talking about it. And I feel like I learned a lot about stuff that will be useful for my budding YouTube career. Give it time. If you want to shoot the shit about social platforms, anytime, man. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So I think we can uh, move on now. Uh, to our next item we're approaching the end of the show here um, but didn't want to finish up without mentioning some of the innovations involved in uh, bridging usdt to the eos evm and there was actually an article released about this and i just shared it in the chat uh, the eos evm is set to launch uh, and that to be precise eos evm version 0.6.0 uh, set to launch on October 16th. So that's coming up. It marks a significant advancement in DeFi capabilities, specifically because it allows users to bridge USDT from the EOS native layer over to EOS EVM in a trustless manner. Uh, and that it'll probably enhance TVL and liquidity on both EOS native and EOS EVM. Uh, the new updates paved the way for uh, new use cases, uh, between EOS Native and EVM, including ERC-20 token bridging, uh, cross-chain trading, and aggregated liquidity across virtual machines, which is a pretty cool development. Um, this it, it It's really a game changer. It offers a revitalized DeFi experience. It offers robust technical upgrades and trustless USDT bridging, um, which kind of creates a synergy between EOS Native and EOS EVM and uh, unlocks new potential in the EOS blockchain ecosystem. So feel free to read the article if you'd like to delve deeper into the EOS EVM. There's a lot of very specific details if you're uh, if you're into the nerdy stuff like me. Um, and then you can begin your journey through the EVM trustless bridge. Um, this is an item we've covered before. So uh, I'd be happy to open it up for questions if anyone's got some. Uh, I don't know how much help I will be, but I will be as much help as I can. <laughs> so feel free to ask away. I think that's Lovejoy calling me a nerd. Guilty as charged. Dokey, we've got a couple more things to chat about here. Uh, one of them is a new podcast, or rather a new episode of WordProof's podcast. So uh, WordProof is the 
uh, let me share it here. WordProof is sort of a, a digital provenance provider. Um, they've been on the EOS network for oh, probably four years now or something like that. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but um, I, I've been seeing what they've been doing for years, and it's it's pretty cool. It allows uh, it allows you to um, bring in WordProof into WordPress, and then allows you to uh, hash whatever content you're producing to the EOS blockchain, so you can timestamp it. Um, and this particular podcast is uh, with it's sort of a uh, an interview uh, between WordProof and Adobe, the Content Authenticity Initiative with Adobe. Um, so, just wanted to shout that out in case anyone's interested. Uh, you can feel free to, uh, if you got any questions, have at it. Um, I'll, I'll just uh, move on to the next topic and then. Uh, feel free to butt in if you feel like it. Uh, our next topic is relating to Upland. So uh, Upland is a sort of metaverse, like real world metaverse game. You can buy houses that exist in real life, except for you're buying them on the blockchain in this metaverse. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that. Um, but they just released a white paper for um, basically the use of their Spark currency um, in outside exchanges, which is something new for Upland. Upland's been primarily focused on the Upland ecosystem, but this is sort of bringing it on to uh, the Ethereum network and um, kind of expanding the use cases for, uh, for the Spark, or Sparklet as it's called, on the Ethereum network. Um, so if you're interested in checking that out, you can check out the exchange right there. That's where you can do, you can stake your Spark. You can use your Spark to build houses and other buildings. You can build a factory. Um, I don't think they have zoning laws in Upland, so you can put that right in a, right in your favorite hometown neighborhood. Um, fortunately, they don't seem to care if you put a factory right next to a school. So, yeah, good on, uh, <laughs> uh, good on Upland for their, uh, very flexible zoning rules. Um, in addition, also, there is going to be a town hall, and this is going to be tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday, October 5th at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So that would be noon Eastern time. And if I'm not mistaken, 1600 UTC. Someone needs to correct me on that. I don't, I, I don't know if that's right or not, uh, but it will be live streamed simultaneously on YouTube and Twitter and also on or at the San Francisco Upland Cafe, which is within Upland. So if you're uh, playing Upland, you can actually go to 722 Montgomery Street in San Francisco and uh, you can uh, watch the uh, Upland Community Town Hall there. Just a shout out for uh, for Upland. Uh, I don't know if we got any Upland players here. Um, I my Upland play is mostly just logging in and getting my Spark rewards. But 
Turns out I can use those in DeFi now. That's that's an exciting development. So shout out to Upland. If anyone's got any thoughts on those last two items, feel free to share. Getting to the end of the show, so if you got anything else you'd like to chat about, feel free. It's a good suggestion, Patrick. I gotta find that uh, the the Homer nerd soundbite. Add it to my soundboard. Awesome. Well, at this point, I'll, I'll open it up and to an off-topic discussion if anyone's got anything they'd like to chat about. I don't know what interesting is happening in the world. I've been too embedded in other stuff to, to read the news. But I'm, I'm sure there's, there are things going on. <laughs> but if not, we, we don't have to, to keep going here. We're past two hours, so not trying to do a full seven-hour fireside chat, although that would be pretty legendary. And in fact, it was when it. I, I'm I'm just happy I I got uh, I got pop token number seven 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 from the seven hours chat, which is exciting for me. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> All Amazing. right. I'm glad someone else thinks that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, I was amazing. Yeah, you you are scared for uh, news before to to wrapping up. So I encourage everyone to register to attend to the upscale election from eight October 7, twenty twenty three, at one p.m. UTC, and you have until October six at one p.m. UTC to register. So we welcome everyone at this next election. That will be very epic. The numbers are growing. Don't be shame and register there. Yeah, shout out. I can't remember if I've registered or not, but I definitely will make sure that I am registered. Um, yeah, probably, I am the only CD today. here. So I, I, you know, I am the only CD here uh, now live. And I just tell you, that's the time to upscale. So go there and we have the chance to be with... Um, Brandon Lovejoy as an MC, for sure. Yeah, thank you for uh, for highlighting that. That's, I did mention it later, but just it's good to have that reminder. Um, Yana just shared some news. This is uh, vaguely EOS related. There were sixty nine people in the audience today, so shout out Woo! for that. Woo! Oh God. Sorry, I didn't anticipate yeah, how annoying that would be. We have audio for this. Oh, I can't see the soundboard on mobile. This is, that sucks. <laughs> I just want to also to give a shout out to NS James for all what he's doing recently with this uh, Tamagoshi. Uh, I think it's a really cool uh, initiative to let people understand more the development uh, and doing something fun. So, Nathan James, good luck with the YouTube channel. 
and uh, go in holidays two weeks and when you come back you will have the youtube channel growing for sure no, you know, no, no. I just went Don't on vacation <laughs> and I got instantly sick. Like the day that I started vacation, my whole vacation was just being sick. So no, I'm good. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Isn't that funny how that works? You give your body and just like a chance to like relax and it's like, oh, I have time now? Okay, let me tell you about all the things that are <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I got sick. I got sick after my last trip, but I think that was there was jet lag involved. It's always yeah, something it's, rough. It's as soon as you stop moving, like after the the, the stress response finally gets a moment to subside, your body like releases everything, and then yeah. So never stop moving, or stop moving really gradually. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah. good advice, especially this time mm. of year. So sat Saturday, October um, 7, Lovejoy will not travel. He will be five hours mm. into the upscale election. Yeah, what god-awful time do I have to wake up on, on that day? Central time? I got to figure it out So I'm not late. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, um, you have to be uh, in good yield, so you have to sleep huh, for this event. That's very important. Yeah, I got to sleep, I guess. Um We'll say, if we can't coordinate to adjust the time of the uh, upscale elections for next time, I can't. I'm, I'm yeah. done. I'm out. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I am for. I am for. We, we need to I, coordinate. I <laughs> if yeah, only we yeah. had some, some tools to coordinate that change the time of the election, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. We need a love joy time. Not a UTC time, but a love joy time. We, well, just we think about all the poor bastards on the West Coast that, you know, are not going to get up. And, you know, for me, I think it's like 7 a.m. Hmm. So that's 6 a.m. Mountain and 5 a.m. Pacific time. So pretty much California is just out. And, you yeah. know, California is kind yeah. of a big deal. I don't know. It's like maybe like we'll... <laughs> I will say I have I have woke up, woken up consistently, maybe not for for all of them, but for for a lot of the elections. So it's possible, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm back in that too, Lovejoy. You're you're Mountain Time. I'm Pacific Time. So no, I'm Central, and it's bad enough. But I'm just oh, like, wow. you know, it's like I'm awake then, but I'm not really awake. You know, I'm not one of these people that wakes up and I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on a Saturday morning. Yeah, I'm like, all right, I'm awake. Hmm. Tea? Yeah, tea. Okay. Hmm. Book? Hmm. hmm. Sunshine? Hmm. Reggae? So, yeah. Like, I'm smile. awake. Phone. Oh, <laughs> why has an hour passed? <laughs> exactly. That's how I prefer my mornings. I, I used to work in really grueling conditions for long periods of time and, and i had to wake up and just be and just go you know without any are you saying working here is not grueling conditions well the ability to uh work late works for me because you know days often start with uh no these are not grueling conditions no no definitely not 
not by a long shot. Working, being able to work remotely. Um, yeah, like there's the stress element <laughs> and other things, but I don't know. It's not as bad as waking up on a ship and like dragging yourself down to like the bosun's locker and then climbing up, climbing up a ladder. Like you've only been awake for like 20 minutes and you're like strapped into some machinery doing some crazy thing on the side of a ship. It's 7.20 in the morning. That's not, that's grueling. <laughs> you were an astronaut? Yeah, I was an astronaut. No, I was a merchant marine. So I worked on container ships. I was going to say, that sounds like a very specific situation. Yeah. I did it for like six years, and it was like 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So after that, my uh, my capacity for like wake up and go was kind of like eh i could just wake up and not go for a while that'd be nice for a change um so thank you like a good pay yeah they call they call it blood money dave dave rex (laughs) they call it um uh what do they call it um it's like prison with a chance of drowning No, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't smart enough. Um, and that was also too early. That was like before my, before Bitcoin, just before Bitcoin. VB. You are very innovative. Brandon, there's nothing before Bitcoin. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, yeah. Someday someone will embed a time machine in a Bitcoin block header. It'll be like, we'll all go into it and we'll all come out in another era and then you'll huh. be completely correct so you're already correct technically what what the this transaction would be because for that blockchain one. is immutable you'd like to think that wouldn't you <laughs> yeah that's that's going to be its own uh, i mean its own grandfather paradox that's what they referred to it when if you were to go back in time and kill your own grandfather but similarly that's like a Sort of grandfather paradox or a double spin paradox, maybe. Yeah. The Bitcoin paradox. The Bitcoin paradox. I mean, time travel is really going to just screw things up if it ever happens. So, if it hasn't already happened. So, if it, if it's, if it would have happened, there would have just been 7 billion people in the Genesis block. What? <laughs> You'll know the day that. <laughs> time travel is invented somebody said like you'll know the day that quantum computing is invented because satoshi's stack will move although there are probably other reasons that that could happen also but you'll know that yeah you'll know the day that time travel is invented because exactly what you just said i i had a dream i i have imagined that uh, the eos price will go to seven 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 Yes, seven dot seven 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 seven. Hmm. Sounds about. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds uh. Sounds good. Yeah. Wait. Why? Why is it locked to four precision? The dollar isn't four precision. <laughs> yes, is four precision. Yeah. <laughs> is everything four precision for you now? But I am a Swiss guy. For me, it's normal to be four precision. <laughs> 
Wait, is CHF denominated in four in with four precision? Why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, what is what is uh, what is point zero 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 four of a Swiss franc? What is it called? Quick. <laughs> International number zero zero four one. Carly. Uh, yeah, you know. Swiss has, is at the base of all the technology. So, Tim Berners-Lee is Swiss. If you go one more deep, it's a Richard. Yeah. And uh, my uncle, my uncle, Pat Novajoy, no, William Novajoy, but uh, here there is um, Brandon Lovejoy. That's my uncle, indeed. Now we're really getting into grandfather paradox territory. Yeah. Wait, I'm your uncle. <laughs> yeah, you are my uncle. You have inducted me. Don't remind her. Huh. Uh, yeah, my memory is really, you know, it's been a long time. That was, that, that was an error. That was an error. That was the paradox. Paradox. <laughs> yeah. The crypto uncle <laughs> paradox. The crypto Anyone? uncle paradox. All right, somebody work out what that is by next fireside. That sounds like a good uh, call to action. Totally. At which, at, at, which, at which time you want to do? 1 p.m. UTC or you prefer uh, watch that? what time? 1 p.m. UTC. I think that's, I think that's 5 a.m. Uh, West Coast time, Pacific time. I'm, I'm game. Yeah, I think uh, Andrew has better capability to waking to, to wake up than uh, Brandon, I'm sure. Yeah, I just need to an alarm. Do you What? Do you know hmm? how to pronounce UTC? Universal Time Coordinated. No, you say oots, oots, oots. Oots, oots, oots. Me, me, me. <laughs> That's how you know what time the dance party is. Oots. It's a oots, 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 kind of sounds like a... Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's the time it is. Dave says, you can, there. You, Dave Rex says, you can go back in time, but your memory does not go with you. So that... So I may have already gone back in time. I just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On that note, I think we can uh, finish up this fireside chat. Feel free to stick around. We can do a little after chat as well. Oots, 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 oots. Yeah, I want to get the oots going. And I want to make sure that we have enough people present that we can actually get a proper going. Hey, Patrick, you ready? Yeah, baby. All right. One, two, three. Three. Go. Go. Yo. Hasta luego, hombres. Hasta luego, Brandon.
Was that music on your side, Dave? It kind of fit with the uh, with the ending music. Good stuff. Excellent, excellent. Go! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. This is fair enough. Okay. See you guys. Thanks for joining us. Good stuff. Thank you, Andrew. Bye-bye.